Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. We help you build a thriving creative practice. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. You can stay up to date with all things Creative Pep Talk by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Let's get into, let's step into today's episode. So we got our first factor meals and I am pumped to tell you about them. First off, we absolutely loved them. Delicious chef's kiss for the chef crafted dietitian approved meals that come straight to your door. I can definitely see how when deadlines are out of control or you're in a super busy season, how factor meals can lighten your load while still giving you options like veggie, vegan, and even low calorie Get as much or as little as you need by choosing six to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can even pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Head to factormeals.com slash peptalk50 and use code peptalk50 to get 50% off. That's code peptalk50 at factormeals.com slash peptalk50 to get 50% off. Last little announcement, we are going to be uh, exploring, experimenting ever so slightly with our release date of the show. Most of you listen to this like any other internet content and probably have no idea what day this show actually drops weekly, but it usually drops on Tuesday morning. We're actually going to push that to Wednesday morning. We did a poll, seemed like nobody really cared, and it's just a lot better of a rhythm for us for a bunch of reasons. Uh, Indie shows perform better on Wednesdays, but that's not why we're doing it. We're doing it because uh, it just gives us um, more buffer at the start of the week, and there's just a whole bunch of reasons why that's going to be great for us. So bear with us and and realize your pep's going to come. It's just going to be on Wednesdays instead of Tuesdays. Okay, so today's episode, sorry for all those announcements, um, it was necessary. Today's episode is the final episode in our Creative Pepamorphosis series that we're doing, the CPD, Creative Pep Talk Remote Retreat, and we talked about this corona isolation as a kind of corona cocoon, as everything is melting down in the whole freaking world. We talked about seeing how sometimes, just like what happens in a cocoon or chrysalis, everything has to break down to its most primordial state, its most basic molecular structures before there can be a rebirth. And I feel like everybody in this season knows like nothing is going to go back to how it was. But I don't know if you were here in 2019, 2018, 2017, 2016, 20, 2015 even. Uh, I don't know if you were there, but I'm not sure I want to go back to that caterpillar state. And I'm and I'm curious, what does it look like when a whole globe gets pulled into, sucked into the same story all at once? Could it be time for humanity to have a sort of rebirth into a butterfly state of our species? And I don't know. I'm it's optimistic, it's futuristic, but I feel like we're seeing the first fruits of this now as, you know, for years up to this point, humans were becoming more and more techy. But I feel like now we're seeing a reverse where tech is becoming more human. We're learning how to use the internet to create real life connections with each other. Uh, We're seeing, I feel like we're for the first time really becoming versed in how to 
deeply connect with each other, not face-to-face, but through online. And I'm always going to value face-to-face. I'm desperate for face-to-face. I need some hugs, man. I do. But I think that we're going through an interesting time where this is going to allow us to do deeper, more human, more beautiful, more creative things with the technology that we have. And it's going to allow us to do things humans could have never done without tech. And so this rebirth in my mind is some kind of cyborg butterfly. Uh, We're going to become these... uh, you know, humans with supernatural creative connection abilities through the things that we're learning to do through online as we're being forced to figure out. And and I think also what's amazing is we're learning how desperately we need each other, how desperately we need other people. And we're getting creative with how to connect in deep ways with each other. And so, here it is. You didn't see it coming. We came out of the chrysalis from last week. By the way, thanks for all the freaking amazing uh, notes on last episode, episode 269. It was one of my favorite episodes of all time, and I'm really pumped to bring you this episode. It's a social butterfly, social media butterfly. It's all about social media. And the whole idea here is, you know, I feel like as a creative person who's an illustrator, who's a public speaker, who's a writer, who's a podcaster, I want to be about the creative work. And sometimes I get discouraged when I see how important uh, social media is, how much it's valued by the culture. And I'm like, gosh, all I want to do is connect with people through my creativity. But now I guess I've got to learn social media. Uh, only to find that as you dive in and you get better at social media, that it's not an obstacle to connecting to other people. It is an opportunity. It is the way. Social media isn't another step in between you and your audience. It's actually cutting out so many steps between you and your audience. And if you really want to connect with people, learning how to use social media creatively is going to be one of your best bets. It's going to be one of the most pure, raw forms of unadulterated creative connection if you will dive in and go deep with it. And in this episode, that's what it's all about. I'm going to share everything that I've learned about deeply connecting with people on social media and how that's impacted my creative career. So we're going to go into mindset. We're going to go into tactics. Let's just do it already. first thing you got to do to up your social media game, if you really want to make progress in your social media game, you got to get your full self on board. And that's going to require us diving into your shadow self. Yes, I'm talking about that disgusting, broken, sick, twisted part of you that's desperate to be insta famous. You sick freak. Uh, Or maybe it's not so sick. Maybe it's not so broken. Maybe part of the reason why you're not having progress is because you haven't realized that there's a part of that desire for Insta success or social media success that is pure and beautiful and worth acting on. So a few years back, like four or five years ago, I started 
upping my public speaking game, I started doing a lot more talks and I've always loved doing talks. I feel so at home and, and it's my happy place to be on stage. But this weird thing started happening where before I got on stage, I started to uh, panic, real anxiety. I would be shaking, crazy nerves, hyperventilating. Uh, with these crazy breaths. I'd be trying to chill out and the whole time I would just be getting worked up into a panic doing these short, tons of these short superficial breaths like <sighs> and I'd be like, what is wrong with my body? I've got to shut this thing down <laughs> and just, I would try to stop it by holding my breath so I'd <sighs> and that didn't work and I'd start <sighs> and I'd be working myself up into this state right before I went on stage and it would take me a few minutes while on stage to kind of chill myself out and get into my authentic self and back into uh, normal and it was just a freaking disaster and it kind of reminded me of we're going to go two metaphors deep it kind of reminded me of the first time that I ever drove a car my mom thought it was a good idea to start me on a manual transmission which I never learned by the way uh, but I don't know if you've ever drove a manual stick shift car the first couple times you ever do it at least it is just this start stop start stop start stop engine floods and it shuts off and that's what was happening in my body this <sighs> and I can imagine that if you had only driven automatics your whole life and you didn't even know that manual transmissions existed you would start driving that car with these jerky starts and stops and you'd be like what is wrong with this car this car is broken but clearly the car isn't broken and treating it like it is broken isn't actually going to help you make any progress. It's not going to push you any further down that road. And when I realized that these short breaths weren't my body, uh, my brain uh, being broken, but actually trying to help me, when I realized that myself had this clear, pure desire it actually dramatically helped me with chilling out before going on stage because I've heard from a public speaking expert that when you get ready to get on stage, your brain wants to flood itself with oxygen because it will enable you to be in peak performance. And so as I'm sat back there holding my breath my brain is like, no, you idiot, breathe, 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 breathe. And it's panicking and it's causing all these short superficial breaths. And it's the start stop disaster that's causing a mad panic. But when I realized that, oh, this is actually a good thing. It's not broken. There's nothing wrong with it. I could work with it. And that's when I started to see real progress. So instead of... <gasps> I started doing these deep, long breathing exercises to flood my, to work with my subconscious. This, and I would get into this very zen chill state that I didn't have to work myself out of once I got on stage. And I feel like most of you, including me, 
traditionally, uh, historically, have interacted with social media in the same sorts of ways. That we're either going through the succession of quick, superficial tons of attempts at making a connection, you know, DMing 100 people, uh, you know, following for following, liking, commenting, you know, posting a billion things over and over, trying to desperately connect as quickly and as instantly as possible. And when that totally makes our soul hyperventilate, we shut it down. We hold our social media breath and we go on these giant social media fasts. And if this has been a picture of your social media, I'm guessing like that car, you're no further down the road than if, than when you started. And if you would like to get out of this vicious cycle, here's what I suggest. Take a deep dive. Take a look at the owner's manual. Go deep into how does this car work? Why does it do what it does? And I think that you will find that you want to be Insta-famous or you want to succeed in social media, not because you're an egomaniac who's disgusting and broken. There's nothing broken with your internal engine. Your soul is hyperventilating from social media because you're treating it that way. I have a strong belief that the reason we want to succeed on social media isn't because we want glory, but because we want to make an impact. I don't know if it's divine design. I don't know if it's evolution. But the fact of the matter is we are social animals and the oxygen of our soul is meaning. And we get meaning from mattering to our community. People that we want to matter to people that matter to us. And we do so by providing value. And one of the ways that we provide value and connect with other people and matter to other people in 2020 is through social media. And when you take a microscopic microscopic look at this deep desire, you see that it is this beautiful, life-affirming desire to serve humanity. And when you see that, you see this thing's not broken. You can actually start working with it in ways that actually are going to fill up your tank and not hyperventilate your soul. And so instead of trying to make tons of quick little superficial connections with a million people as quickly as possible, you will realize that those wide connections do very little to fill up that soul tank of yours. I will tell you one thing. Five years ago, I have, I have uh, 10 times the followers that I had five years ago. And that wide superficial connection has done very little to fill up that meaning oxygen tank of my soul. And so this whole entire episode is about how to teach you to take deep hits of meaning from social media. And if you do that, you are going to make so much progress. You're going to be on the freaking highway of social media, soul, oxygen, I don't know. You're going to be better at social media.
So let's get into how do you switch your uh, attention from wide superficial succession of connections on social media to deep breath approach to social media. Let's get to number two. Number two, the second thing you need to do to succeed in social media is embrace the philosophy of the minimal viable audience, the MVA. This comes from creative hero of mine, Seth Godin. He's a writer and marketing expert, and he calls himself a marketer. He's not. He's just a beautiful, spiritual human who we are blessed to have on this planet. Um, But he came up with this idea of the minimal viable audience. What are the, what's the least amount of people that you need to serve as a creative to be, to have a thriving creative practice? Like how do we, how do we focus on, uh, because the less people you serve, the better you can serve them. And it is a completely upside down approach to a creative practice. And if when you think of creative pep talk, I am going to just co-opt this Seth Godin thing because I believe it's cancer to the creative community, this obsession with being famous and having as many followers and having as big of an impact and having this huge mainstream success. I don't think there's anything destroying your creative practice like that obsession or that misunderstanding of what it means to have a thriving creative practice. So when you think of creative pep talk, I want you to think of MVA, minimal viable audience, not wide appeal, but deep connection. This is one of the top three core values and pillars of this show. And I want to explain a little bit of why it's so important to embrace the minimal viable audience when it comes to social media. First of all, to do so, I want to just say, why should you listen to me about social media? I don't even, you know, I have a, uh, probably a collective of uh, about 100,000 followers on a few different social platforms. I only use a few different ones around. I have almost almost 70k on Instagram and actually I believe that that following is more of a symbol of why you should listen to me than why you shouldn't yeah it's more than your average joe but it's not those 100 200k you know 1 million followers uh that some artists have but the reason why I think you should listen to these pieces of, pieces of advice is because I have grown my social media 20 to 30% a year on purpose. And that kind of growth is about the top kind of growth that I think you can expect from best practices. I believe that most people, there are exceptions to this rule, uh, most creatives with super huge audiences online are a result of either being in the right place at the right time, you know, getting on a social platform before it blows up, mostly on accident, some exceptions to that rule, or sheer luck of viral lottery. They they somehow, something happened that wasn't completely in their control. It's not pure meritocracy. A lot of those people with huge audiences do have super merit. Their creative work is fantastic. But as, social, uh, as Seth Godin says, you know, fame is not directly correlated with quality. And so, uh, 
you know, the reason why I believe that you should take into consideration all these things I'm going to suggest to you on this episode is because I don't have a super huge audience. I have an audience, not one through a lottery, but as a paycheck for showing up and contributing through strategic and intentional actions over the years. And if you take that same approach, you will see results slowly but surely. So quit thinking. I don't want you to think about how do I get from zero to a million followers overnight, but rather how do I get at the end of this year, how do I end with 20 to 30% more followers? If you start doing that math, in five years, you'll be in a really interesting place. In five years, if I keep on the pace I'm at now, I'll go from something like 70,000 followers to something like 200,000 followers. I don't know the math exactly. This is a creative podcast, man. But the other reason I want you to embrace the MBA is not only because it's true, like, uh, you know, quit thinking about how do I get 100,000 followers and, and start thinking about how do I get 100, how do I get 1,000 true fans? Uh, how do I get people, a thousand people to, that I can serve in such a specific way that they will pay me a hundred bucks a year and therefore I'll have a hundred thousand dollars a year salary. For most people, that's plenty of money for a thriving creative practice. Now, that's true. That's the first reason I want you to embrace the MVA approach. But the other reason is that I believe that this idea of a thousand true fans and the minimal viable audience isn't just uh, the end or the goal of a thriving creative practice, but it is the start of the diffusion of innovation. If you're not familiar with the diffus diffusion of innovation, whenever people talk about early adopters or uh, you know early innovators or late majority or all that kind of stuff, that's a model of how ideas spread called diffusion of innovation. And here's what I've seen is that this whole idea of mattering to a thousand people deeply, it's not just the end of your creative career. It's the true start. The people, the creatives that try to get mass appeal out the gate, they are like uh, huge trees without roots. This is like going back to my Bible belt. Uh, I grew up in Indiana, so I grew up in church and um, you, I feel like I heard this metaphor a million times like, you got to have roots, man. If you're not rooted, any old gust of wind will knock you down. Um, and that's true. Like you'll see these people with social media followings that spring up overnight and they work with these brands or, or they, they try to sell a product and they get like less than 1% engagement because there's no depth to their connection. And most people that try to appeal to the masses never get further down the road in the first place. But those who try to serve a small community in a deep way, they try to, you know, start by making a, a book for 10 of their friends that they think 10 of their friends are going to just freak out about. And then those 10 friends tell other 10 friends. If you try to have a minimal viable audience, not only will it be everything that you really need for a thriving creative practice, it will be the mustard seed that grows into a wild progression of momentum. Because if you have a thousand people that are freaking crazy about what you provide for them, that will slowly but surely over the years edge out and edge out and edge out. It's not the width of connection, it's the depth. 
and I want you to embrace the minimal viable audience for that reason. One more little mindset one, and then we're going to get to the actionable, tactical, strategic stuff. Um, but the, you know, the truth is the why stuff is actually the thing that bleeds down into the what and the how. So number three is love the one you're with. Uh, you know, I went to a conference a few years back and I got invited to one of the most exclusive, coolest parties that was happening at that conference. And years before that, if I had known that I would be invited to this kind of event, I would have just died and went to heaven. But when it actually came, I had the opportunity the same night to go out for dinner and drinks with some close peers and friends from the industry that I'd already made deep connections with. And I, in the moment, it just felt like the right thing to do to be like, I'm going to blow off this exclusive party with, with these cool cats that I don't really know and, and go and make schmoozy networking, lots of superficial connections, like, you know, those short breaths. And I just decided, you know what, it, I don't know why it's probably not going to help my career, but uh, it feels like the right thing not to blow off these friends, these people I have a deep relationship with. And so we went out, we went to a diner, we had a freaking blast. They had some friends of friends come. So it was just a small group, like, I don't know, like 10 people. And it was a magical evening that I'll never forget. And that was more than enough. Come to find out that one of the people that they had invited was uh, – uh, a big part of organizing that event and it led to some really interesting opportunities that I'd never seen coming. And the truth of the matter is that if you will focus on loving the people that you're already connected with, that is the best way to unlock new connections and better connections and truer connections. Claire Diaz Ortiz, she's a social media expert. She used to work for Twitter. Now she does a lot of things for Donald Miller's story brand. I'll put a link in the show notes at creativepeptalk.com slash episode slash 270. And you can go check out her new book on social media. Um, it's about the five pillars of social media um, uh, success. And she said that the best way to get new followers is to serve the ones that you already have. Have you ever been to a conference or a networking event where the person that's talking to you is constantly looking over your shoulder to see if there's anyone more important than you that they could be networking with? It is one of the grossest, most terrible, uh, dehumanizing feelings that I've ever experienced. And you don't want to do that with your followers. You don't want to think, what would my my perspective followers really want. What you need to be doing is how can I serve the people that already give me their attention? You know, have you ever gone onto a platform to log in to their service and you can't even find the login because it's in like 0.3 font and the sign up button is half the page? That communicates to me that you don't give a crap about people that are already subscribing. You only care about the new subscriber, the next big fling. So how could you? What would it look like if you valued the people that already gave your attention? Would it look like engaging more in the comments? Would it look like, you know, recently I've been going out of my way to send voice messages to the people that have supported and followed my creative 
practice over the past five or six years. And I've been trying to, you know, you know, by the way, I know there's not many chicken sandwiches that are more controversial than Chick-fil-A, but politics and all that stuff aside, um, not that you can ever put them aside. I'm not minimizing. I'm, I'm just saying, okay, back in the day, maybe like six or seven years ago, I had stumbled across on a podcast, uh, a principle from one of the people that started Chick-fil-A. And they were going through this crazy thing. It was them versus Boston Market. Uh, and Boston Market was opening up all over the freaking place. And everybody in the boardroom was like, we've got to open more Chick-fil-A's. And uh, the boss was like, absolutely not and pounded the table i don't know if he pounded the table but was like we are not gonna get bigger we're not gonna focus on bigger we're gonna focus on better and we will wait till our customers demand that we get bigger if we get better they will and this is the secret of creative success if you will focus on i'm not saying listen i believe in marketing i believe in strategy i believe in doing whatever it takes to get the word out about what you're making but primarily your first love needs to be the merit of your creative work and making stuff that matters to the people that's already giving your work attention Four is do it on purpose. You know, uh, I'm a huge. I say this on the on the podcast all the time. That creativity is about knowing who you are and doing it on purpose. That's a Dolly Parton quote. Huge Dolly fan. If you haven't checked it out, you should go listen to Dolly Parton's America. It's made by Radiolab. It's an amazing podcast series that I just fell into. and it made all of my problems solved. Um, (laughs) It's really great, but doing it on purpose. Know who you are, do it on purpose. Do it on purpose is about owning and mastering your creative superpowers. Uh, My buddy Chris Graham told me about, you know, we were talking through this idea of knowing who you are and doing it on purpose, and he said it reminds him of... uh, you know, superheroes, when they first start discovering their super abilities, they are usually doing them completely inadvertently, completely on accident. If you look at a great example as Spider-Man Enter the Spider-Verse, Miles Morales, he realizes he has these powers to go invisible and shoot webs and all these kind of stuff. And, uh, and at first, they're just happening completely on accident to the point of hilarity ensuing. But if he's ever going to be his true potential as Spider-Man, he's got to figure out how to do these things on command. Jim Collins, I've said this before on the show, he says that the biggest failure in business isn't not succeeding, it's succeeding in not knowing why or how. What is it that you did that actually worked? Because if you don't understand that, you're going to be a one-hit wonder. Is there anything more scary to a creative soul than being a one-hit wonder? I don't know, man. Maybe like getting jaded and uncreative in old age, that really scares me too, but way worse than that, tops the list is one hit wonder. We had a hit. We have no idea how we freaking did it and we can never repeat it again. Boy, that's just the worst freaking feeling in the world. Um, and, uh, and so what I want you to do is I want you to go back 
to the things you've done on social media that have had the deepest resonance, whether that means you're getting, you know, five comments or 5,000 comments, it doesn't matter, everything in between, go check it out. And I want you to analyze and find patterns in what are the things that have really made a difference and mattered to the people that matter to me. Like that's, that's where you're going to find the good stuff. And I want you to actually go do this tactic and strategy because I did it and I had a personal breakthrough. It really defied my expectations. I think a lot of us think that what's working for our creative work are superficial things, things like style. But what I found was most of the reasons why a piece of work worked on Instagram had nothing to do with the style and had everything to do with something deeper. And those deeper things ended up being the opposite of what I expected. So as I started to analyze my own results, you know, I always thought that my thing was all about growth, how to push you into being your true self, push you beyond where you are right now. But what I actually found made the biggest impact on my community wasn't pushing themselves, pushing people to be something they weren't, but to push people to embrace and have self-compassion for who they are now. And actually, I believe that's the engine to growth, really. Isn't, uh, you know, you'll see like self-deprecation and, and, and self negative self-talk might work in the short term. You know, Brene Brown says that uh, that kind of behavior, that kind of self-attitude will get you short-term results, but in the long run, that's cheap fuel that's going to run out quickly and you're going to be right back to where you were. But self-compassion is a groundwork that you can build long-term, sustainable, real growth on. And I always thought my pieces of work that inspire growth, those are the, going to be the ones that are going to have the biggest impact. But what I found was the things that I've made that have helped inspire new levels of self-compassion, new levels of self-acceptance, not to where they want to go, but to where they are now, those are the things that really made the difference almost completely opposite. Another way that I was really surprised when I started analyzing my results is I always thought that what people want is new information, new ideas, new perspectives that they never saw coming and totally blew their freaking mind. But what I found was what people actually want, what my people want are reminders of things that they already knew were true, hopefully said in such a way where it feels fresh, but it's, some, it's a truth that is something they've always believed and just needed to hear it again in a new, fresh way. Uh, and I think this is because, you know, new information is scary. When you get totally new information, a totally new perspective, you have no idea what the context is, where does it come from, who agrees with it. This is why, uh, you know, quotes are so helpful because if someone you loved is quoted, then you already know you can trust it. But when you come in contact with a totally new idea, it's really threatening to your identity, to your worldview, to your mindset, and you've got to go through all kinds of deep layers to figure out whether or not it resonates or rings true to you before you can really interact with it. And of course, that's why those things tend to not do as well. So even new things, this information has helped me to realize that even new information, I want it to be filtered through 
cliches, things that we already accept as true, and then flip those things on their heads and do subvert those things. But it used to be that I'd always just come in blazing with total, like, you've never even heard of this, man. And I realized that's not that effective. Uh, and, and actually even, for, and I also thought, I'm all about growth, I'm all about new. But these two things have actually ring true for me, and I never would have seen it had I not done this analysis and started to figure out how do I do what I do successfully, not on accident, but on purpose. Does it feel like uh, I've gotten too serious for too long in this episode? I had to get weird and switch it up just to wake you up, man. Are you awake? Um, I am. Uh, number five is find a place to trust. One of my favorite quotes of all time in terms of creativity comes from Sister Corita Kent. If you don't know, go find Sister Corita Kent. She was this crazy. Uh, screen printing nun who was like an influential uh, protest artist. Amazing work. We're seeing so much of her influence in creativity these days. Um, and she was influential mostly in secular culture, not in not in Catholic uh, monastery culture, if that's a thing. <laughs> I'm sure they have their own culture. Um, Sister Creative Camp, whoa, freaking amazing. But she said one of her class rules were Try, find a place to trust and try trusting it for a while. I think one of the big shifts that you need to have in your approach to social media, if you're ever going to find the progress that you want, is to quit thinking of social media as a timeline. Quit thinking of it as an ongoing journal. It doesn't work like that anymore, no matter how desperately you wish that it did. Most people's interaction with your creative work is going to be, yes, the most recent stuff. But that can't just be your specials. It can't just be the new thing that you just came up with today if you want to have a thriving creative practice. You're not going to have – look, maybe – as a creative, you think that the only way to be true to your own creative vision is to only play new stuff that you're excited about right now. But if you will not play your hits, you will not have a thriving practice because that's not what your audience wants and you're not serving them. Now, if you just totally don't want to serve them and you've got to do your own vision, I think you just got to accept here and now you will not have a thriving creative practice unless you happen to be a complete exception to the rules of the known universe. You might be the exception, but you can't plan on being the exception. That's called insanity. And in fact, I think if you will learn to play your hits, there's a bunch of ways that you can do so that feel authentic and exciting and beautiful to you. You know, we had Jenny from Jenny's Ice Cream on this show a few years ago. She's a creative hero of mine. If you haven't had Jenny's Ice Cream, you will. And when you do, you'll cry about it because it's the best ice cream in the world. Um, and it came from Columbus, Ohio, but now it's in big cities all over the country and in a supermarket near you. Um, delicious, delicious stuff. But Jenny had a failed ice cream business before this called Scream, where she did a new flavored ice cream every uh, every day. So every or every week she had a completely different flavor and that's all they had. And you couldn't get her greatest hits. You just had to get what she was making. And often those things were weird, esoteric kinds of creations for ice cream that was completely non-conventional and traditional. And it failed. 
Now, as an art project, maybe there's tons of merit there. I'm sure there is. But she's managed to balance the best of both worlds by having her greatest hits all the time at Jenny's, all the while having this uh, open door that, that cycles through all these new creations that are fun, exciting. Fun, exciting. Fun and exciting. Missed the and <laughs> in that. Um, but you can find the best of both worlds. And so when it comes to Instagram, you should know that uh, new prospective followers of your account, everything that they're going to know about you comes from your last 15 posts. And the same goes for a podcast. The same goes for Twitter. Everything that they're going to know about you, it's literally like they walked into your restaurant, took a look around, and if there's just a bunch of experiments and the floor's a mess and it's just a freaking wreck because it's just all behind the scenes stuff, they're walking out of that restaurant, baby. So you got to shift your view, quit thinking of it as a timeline, and start thinking of it as something that embodies your ongoing core values. And so, yes, like people tend to go to McDonald's for their hits, the Big Mac, the fries, right? Like the exception to the rule are the people that are like, what's your special today? I got to try the new creation from Ronald. That's just not, that's just not the way that people interact with businesses. Uh, and so how do you play your greatest hits? I've talked about this recently on the episode. It's had a huge impact on my connection with my audiences. I've been reposting things I've made two or three years ago that I still love, that still embody the tr places I trust creatively. And I say new, fresh things with it. You know, when you play that hit from five years ago in your concert, you can mix it up. You can, you know, there's a lot of uh, musicians that talk about how originally this song, when they wrote it, meant one thing, but then over time it changed its meaning completely. You know, I love Alanis Morissette and she talks about how she calls... Uh, you know, Alanis Morissette reminds me so much of my mom. My mom was freaking crazy about her in the 90s, and my mom is manic and, and all this weirdness very similar to her. Um, so she always reminds me of her. But um, Alanis talks about her concerts being, uh, she calls them service, and that she's, you know, she's embodying that song for the people that need it right then. And so I've been, you know, I've been posting my greatest hits because I want when people interact with the last 20 posts that I've put on Instagram, I want them not to just have a sense of what I'm up to today, but as, uh, but a deeper sense of who I am as a creative person. And even if you're just getting started, you can start injecting with what are just a few things there, there might be one or two posts, one or two pieces of work, uh, one or two songs, one or two things that you've made up to date where like, you know what, I don't know about all this other crap that I've made, but there's something about this that's there. And even all the way back to like 2008, 2005, there's stuff that I made back then that there's still some stuff that I trust in that. And so your whole ongoing journey, you know, every time you create a new creation, just see it as I'm creating a new special. This is the daily double. This is the, I think the daily double is actually a, a regular thing. I'm trying to think of, there was this, there was this, uh, whatever. <laughs> so stupid. Just, you know, every piece you make is a new potential special, something you're trying out. And then over time, you know, every album you make, there's going to be one or two places to trust 
on that album and you can carry some of those core values into the next stuff that you make and make sure you're delivering on those things. And I like, I love that quote, try place to trust and find a place to trust and try trusting it for a while because it's a perfect balance of trying new things and commitment. And that's a cyclical process that you need to go through in your creative career. It's not all about just keep swimming, just keep making, just keep making. It's just keep making and just keep pivoting. Keep trying new stuff and keep uh, and keep going back to stuff that works and go and ebb and flow in and out of that place. Number six is type your audience. Uh, when I, what I mean is like a personality type. What is your archetype? What is your avatar for the people that you're trying to serve? You know, I've said this in the past. If you wanted to become a professional cornholer, that's a game we play here in the Midwest where you throw a beanbag into a hole in a piece of plywood. Um, it's a very sophisticated game. But if you wanted to go pro, which I don't think you can, but if you did and you wanted to get really good at it, you're not going to take all four of your beanbags and just toss them over there and just pray and hope that one of them goes through. No, you're going to try to focus with precision on a very particular target with one of those beanbags. And this means having a clear picture of who is it that I'm trying to serve. I'm a big, uh, I don't even want to say a big fan of Enneagram. I actually see uh, lots of pros and cons in the whole personality type thing, but Enneagram has been fun recently. And there's a lot of cool things that I think you can take away from that. Compared to Myers-Briggs, I'm told that it holds up under uh, scientific scrutiny slightly better. But honestly, I think they give us some interesting buckets for talking about the enigma that is personality and persona and why we are the way that we are. And, and, and I think that there's some good value there. Uh, but Enneagram, I've heard it, uh, if you haven't, used it. I'll put a link in the show notes. There's a $12 test that's really great. And I don't think that's the be end all end all uh, of, of who you are or, or even your type, but it's a good place to start. I'm a Enneagram four with a three wing. I also score really high as a number seven. There's nine personality types. And I've heard experts of this type companies and type countries with this is this country is kind of a three. That country's kind of a seven. That country's kind of a six. And I think it's really powerful and interesting. You can get some uh, great takeaways by having an understanding of generally who is my audience as a emergent uh, entity all together. And if I had to take a guess, I would say creative pep talk is a four and a four is the audience, uh, is the artist. It is the individual. It's the person that doesn't belong. It's the person that's creative often. Um, it's the person that's weird, totally different than everybody else. Fours are one of the most unique types in the world. And we love that about ourselves. Um, with the three wing, maybe even, which is wanting to be an achiever. Um, but there's tons of people from all over the, like there's twos, there's ones, there's nines, there's eights, there's 
the creative pep talk audience, it's all over the place. But I think generally, the creative archetype, there's something that resonates deep with the four. And the four is about, I am like nobody else. I am totally in my own group of people. And that has really helped me. Because here's the thing. If I was, it's made me realize that if I was going to speak to a corporate audience, I would be encouraging them. Like, you've got to embrace your individualism. You've got to let go of this interchangeable parts. You know, humans as cogs were basically all the same and you can interchange this person for that person on the factory line. Like that is not what we evolved to do. That's not what we were designed to do. We have completely unique DNA with the most complex inner machinery in the universe. Uh, You've got to lean into the power of that diversity. You've got to lean into the power of our uniqueness, corporate America. But when I'm speaking to creatives, when I'm speaking to an audience that has a four embodiment, I'm actually inclined to do the opposite. You might notice on this podcast, more often than not, I'm not encouraging you to lean into what makes you weird, but to start with what makes you connected? What makes you belong? There's a part of me that when I start to feel like I belong, I start to feel ill to the point of self-sabotage. I will sabotage my connections. I will sabotage my, the, you know, the movements creatively that I'm a part of because I start feeling sick if I feel like I'm too much like somebody else. And it's actually to our detriment. And so because I have an understanding that this is probably a common occurrence for a large part of our audience, at least somewhere along the way, we will see ourselves self-sabotage and disconnect and and crush our belonging and, and not learn from each other and not grow with each other and not help each other. And that, so for me, understanding the type of my audience has really helped me serve that group of people and go deeper. Uh, yes, I, of course, my nature is to believe that the best of what we have to offer is our own own unique offering, but I leave, I believe that the path to finding that is a path that we journey on together. So type your audience, go, you know, maybe you like Myers-Briggs, maybe you like uh, Enneagram, maybe you like StrengthsFinder, maybe you like the disc, whatever it is, whichever one tickles your fancy. I think there's some value in finding your audience avatar and archetype because it'll help you serve them in deeper ways. Type your audience. What about that for a friggin' tactic? I like it. I hope you do too. Number seven and our final point on how to up our social media game is embrace the long tail. So The Long Tail is a book by Chris Anderson, editor-in-chief of Wired Magazine, and I'll explain what the concept is. So on iTunes, 50% of their sales come from songs that sell like one or two times. So 50% of their sales isn't huge, crazy hits, huge, crazy successes. It's a combination of millions of songs that only sell once or twice. And the other 50% is made up of successful music. And this whole book is about how uh, the, the future of business is of selling less of more. So selling uh, less individual tracks, but 
collectively more tracks. And I see this pattern in my own creative output. So I feel like we all want to be making creative work that's a hit, that goes viral, that's bonkers, that is a super success. When you post something online, you want it to be uh, your most successful post. But if you'll embrace the long tail, if you'll embrace that 50% of your success will come from the collection of 90% of your posts that didn't do super well. Like if you will just embrace, if I will make hundreds of things, if I'll make lots of work over time, it'll be the collection of most of the things that didn't do that well that'll make up half of my success. You know, it's just like this podcast. Like I try to not make hits every time. What I try to make is consistently good content that serves the people that already listen. And I know that if I show up every single week with quality stuff of high merit, that three or four episodes a year will be hits. There'll be things that are better than the sum of their parts. They won't just serve the audience that already shows up. It'll go to people that don't even ever listen to podcasts. And, and, and over time, those small few episodes will make up the other 50% of my audience. And so if you will if you will approach your creative practice not trying to put hit after hit after hit, but just trying to show up. You know, I, I heard a quote recently, I can't remember where this one came from, but um, it's this idea that there is only the song. Like, uh, I, th I believe this was advice that was given to Guy Garvey of the band, the British band Elbow. Like, quit thinking about the album. Quit thinking about your career. Just think about serving the song, each song. Make sure it's something that's exciting to you. Make sure it's something that's authentic, something that resonates, and serve that song, whether you have to do new stuff that's kind of outside of the bounds that you're used to, or wh whatever it is you have to do to make the song work. Keep piling up songs like that and you will get to interesting places. If you will not worry about, feel like uh, curating a perfect Instagram where every single thing is perfectly on brand, no, you know, all killer, no filler, every single thing is perfect. That perfectionism will not allow you to embrace the power of the long tail. But if you will show up consistently and give yourself over to the song, to the individual piece of work, and try to make it resonate with you, try to make it high merit, try to make it authentic, if you stack up enough of those, even the duds will be a huge part, 50% of your success. Because every time you post, you might get three followers and lose one. You do that over time, and that will make up 50% of your following. And if you do that, you know, back to something I heard Mark Bricky and Tad Carpenter talking about on the Adventures in Design podcast back in the day. Uh, every single piece not only will be a part of that long tail, it'll also be another lottery ticket. So if you're willing to make mistakes, make duds, not make hits, and consistently show up, every few things that you make will be a winning lottery ticket once a year one thing will get shared by somebody with a million followers and some a big influx, 50% of your following will come in that year. 50% of your growth that year will come in from one post. But it won't come from any if you're too afraid to show up week in and week out.
So I want you to embrace the deep approach to social media and I want you to recognize that this is fundamentally the opposite, the upside down of almost every approach to social media that you will encounter. I want you to quit with the, I need 100,000 followers right now to, I need 1,000 deep followers over the course of the next year or two years. I need 7,000 likes on this post right now to, I need seven comments that say that me showing up made a difference in their life right now. I need you to go from, I need to network like crazy. I got to make new contacts, man, to, I need to make new friends. And in the words of the great Ralph Waldo Emerson, you know the only way to make a new friend is to be one. So go out there, get friendly on social media. I hope all this stuff really helped you. Huge thanks to the band Y for our theme music. Thanks to Alex Sugg for our soundtrack. You can find it. Really great instrumental work music to get into the flow state and get productive. Uh, You can go find the Creative Pep Talk soundtrack volume one on Spotify and Apple Music by Alex Sugg. Thanks, man. Thanks to all of you guys for showing up week in, week out. Until we speak again, stay pepped up.